This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 389. Thanks to our new sponsor, Prevenix, maker of Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. They also protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise, which is huge for joint longevity, performance, and health. Save 15% by visiting Prevenix.com and using code MTA. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use the code MTA. Thanks also to MetPro. You can speak with a metabolic expert to discuss your dietary, performance, and lifestyle goals. They've helped so many people in our community. Give them a try. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA. If you decide to work with one of their coaches, you'll save $500 off with our link, metpro.co forward slash MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Train Academy podcast. In this episode, we speak with fellow podcaster Thomas Bailey, who in 2017 decided to get sober and change his life. He found a love for long distance running, and he ran his second marathon in two hours and 48 minutes. Plus, we'll give you a final recap of our 39-day road trip in Europe. And don't forget, as a member of the Academy, you get access to all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, courses, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, we are back home from our long road trip in Europe. It ended up being uh, 39 days total, and we will tell you about some of our favorite sites from the 10 countries that we visited, some things that we would love to do again if we ever make it back, and some things that we might skip if we... uh... (laughs) So we'll give you a little rundown about it at the end of the episode after the interview, so stay tuned for that. Angie, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in the running world, so let's do a quick news roundup here. Yeah, some awesome things happening out there. Uh, Many people probably have heard that Mike Wardian, the ultra runner, ran across the U.S. from coast to coast in 62 days, and he did that to raise money for World Vision Clean Water. So an amazing accomplishment. It was fun to follow his journey. And ultra runner Dave Proctor ran across Canada in a record-setting 67 days which is just amazing. Also, the Hard Rock 100 Ultra Marathon took place um, recently, and really exciting race. Courtney DeWalter set a new course record for the women with a time of 26 hours, 44 minutes, and 38 seconds, and she was the sixth place overall finisher and happened to be six hours ahead of the second place female, so very commanding lead there. And on the men's side of things, Killian Jornet also set a new course record with a time of 21 hours, 36 minutes, and 24 seconds. Also, the track and field world championships took place in Eugene, Oregon, and there were a lot of exciting um, results coming out from there, but we'd like to talk specifically about the marathon. In the women's race, the first place was Gadatum Gabrilase of Ethiopia. She finished in 2.18.11. Second place was Judith Korir of Kenya in 2 hours, 18 minutes, and 20 seconds. And third place was Lana Chemtai Saltpeter of Israel in 2.20.18. It was really exciting to see that the U.S. women's team had a strong showing. Sarah Hall finished in fifth place in 2.22.20. And then she turned around to cheer on Emma Bates, who finished in seventh place in 2.12.18 with a personal best. And Kira D'Amato finished in eighth place with a time of 2.23.34. 
And Kira was a last minute addition to the team because Molly Seidel was supposed to be on it. But due to injury, she wasn't able to run there. And so Kira took her place. On the men's side of things with the marathon, Tamarit Tola of Ethiopia basically headed out and ran most of the race by himself um, to win the world marathon title. He finished in two hours, five minutes and 37 seconds. Mazanet Garamu of Ethiopia was the silver medalist in two hours, six minutes and 45 seconds. And third place was Bashir Abdi of Belgium, who was also the Olympic bronze medalist. He finished in two hours, six minutes and 49 seconds. And unfortunately, the U.S. did not have a great showing on the men's side. The first U.S. man was Galen Rupp, and he finished in 19th place and apparently had a pretty rough race. So I feel like I follow the Olympics a lot closer than the world championships. Yeah. um, So it's, you know, a very prestigious thing. But obviously, the Olympics is bigger because... Um, it gets more airtime for sure and happens every four years. So, for example, Kipchoge is not going to necessarily run in the world championships, whereas, you know, he's going to show up for the Olympics every time. <laughs> well, he already knows he's the best. So he's <laughs> like, yeah, I'll just come prove it once every four years. Give these other guys a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we also want to give some shout outs like we love to do on the podcast. These are just everyday runners like Angie and I and like you listening to the show who are just out there trying to become better versions of themselves and we want to give them some props. So Angie, what do you have for us? That's right. We got this nice note from Marley, and she is part of the social distancing run group. She says, I recently ran the vacation races Mount Rainier half marathon and actually placed first in my age bracket with a time of two hours and 28 minutes. And I think she's in the 70 plus age bracket. Wow. She says the first 7.5 miles were rough road and trail, and I tripped over a rock early on, but I got up and continued. And we'd like to give a big shout out to Tony in the SDR group. He says, I got first in the 50 plus age group by seven minutes and eighth overall with a time of 1.20.15 at the Napa Wineshine Half Marathon. And as a little update here, Tony recently ran the San Francisco Ultra, which was a 52.4 mile double marathon. He came in fourth overall and he was the third male overall with a time of six hours, 43 minutes and 54 seconds. Yeah, Tony's an awesome guy. He's probably the most active and supportive person in the group, our uh, group that originally formed around virtual runs that we were doing in 2020 because all these in-person races were canceled. And Tony's just always encouraging people in the group. It's just really cool. And so it was fun to see everyone kind of return the favor and give him massive props as he tackled that ultra and amazing time. It is really fun to... um hear about his success because over the winter he went through a hip injury where he had to take a good amount of time off from running but he was really faithful with his cross training and his rehab and so it's great to see him just kicking butt out there again yeah and check this out we uh heard from a client named jose who was also at a race in san francisco he was at the san francisco marathon and uh ran a pr Yeah, Jose um, left this nice message. He says, I ran the San Francisco Marathon today and PR'd with a time of 3.50.03, despite it being a hard course. Big thanks to MTA coach Joel for helping me constantly improve and MTA for keeping me motivated despite my constant injuries as I work toward qualifying for Boston by age 40. I've made a one hour and 37 minute and 11 second improvement since November. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome, man. That is amazing. Since working with Joel dropped his time by an hour and 37 minutes and 11 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's killer. And we've got one more shout out uh, we'd like to make to a client of ours named Bill. 
he has just been on such a roll. Massive congrats to Bill Drinkward on running a 50 miler recently. Yeah, he says, I am an ultra marathoner. I ran the Mount Hood 50 miler on the Pacific Crest Trail in Oregon. I expected it to be difficult, and it was. I ran with the mantra, be patient, it will be a long day. Be present, pay attention to the way my body is feeling, and be deliberate, don't ever fall. I learned this mantra at mountaineering school in Ecuador last month, and I figured it would also relate well to running. I did not give up on my goal of running sub 10 hours, and I crossed the line at 9 hours and 59 minutes (laughs) for second place in the 50-plus age group. Many thanks to my MTA coach, Steve, for indulging me in this diversion from marathon training and sharing his wisdom to help me succeed. Love it. 50 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail. That's got to be just gorgeous. Tough, though. Big congrats, Bill, and it's so awesome to just see what you're doing. Living life to the fullest. That's really cool. I'm glad Coach Steve on our team was able to help you. Uh, Steve is also an accomplished ultra runner. We have actually quite a few ultra runners on the coaching team, including Angie. (laughs) I wouldn't call myself accomplished, but I am an ultra runner. You've done a few. I guess I have done one. I'm not a coach, but I've done one ultra But yeah, you can learn more about MTA coaching and our growing team of clients and coaches over at marathontrainingacademy.com forward slash coaching. And if all of this is making you hungry to sign up for a marathon on a trail, check out the Greenbrier River Trail Marathon in West Virginia. It's going to take place Sunday, October 2nd of this year, 2022. It features a flat, scenic course in the beautiful Pocahontas County of West Virginia. The course sounds really beautiful. It runs along the namesake Greenbrier River on the Greenbrier River Trail, which is an old railway bed. And most of the course is smooth packed gravel with about two miles of pavement toward the finish. So it sounds like a really nice course. And at mile 15, the course runs through an 80 yard long tunnel. So if you've never run through a tunnel, be a good chance to do that. And the course record for the marathon is 232.27. So it sounds like it's a pretty fast course, but they also have a very generous course cutoff time of eight hours. So it's a great race, no matter your experience or your goals for a marathon. And you can get 20% off with the code MTA2022 at grtmarathon.com, or you can register at runsignup.com. Use the code MTA2022 for 20% off. All right, well, we want to play a conversation with Thomas Bailey, a.k.a. Tommy Runs. Angie, I know you had an opportunity to do a live event with Tommy at the Boston Marathon. What can you tell us about Tommy Runs? Yeah, it was fantastic to be able to meet him in person. Um, He's just a really warm, caring individual. And as you'll hear his running story, I think you'll be inspired about how he got into running and just really how he's thrown himself into it. Tommy Runs is a sober vegan runner who lives outside of Detroit, Michigan with his family. And he started running a few years ago after making some big changes in his life. He's since become a marathoner with a 248 PR and he continues to chase big goals. All right, so here's our conversation with Tommy Runs. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my way, well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Okay, we're on the podcast now with Tommy Runs. Tommy, welcome to the MTA podcast. And we are recording this via Zencaster video. And you've got an interesting studio or room that you're sitting in with like 50 pairs of running shoes behind you, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's been it's a long time coming. And I don't think I like tried to get here with the shoe, with the shoe thing, but it just kind of happened. And I definitely didn't stop it, you know. There was definitely, <laughs> you know, there was no point when I was like, hey, you know, no, thank you. 
<laughs> There's always room for another pair, right? <laughs> yeah, they're like, "What's your address?" I know my address well, so <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm quick to share that, especially with shoe companies. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man! So companies are mailing you running shoes. Yeah, because well, at first it was just you know kind of just me doing a little bit and um, creating you know Instagram content and kind of partially reviewing shoes, more on a um, just like a feel and vibe type of level where it less of like, you know, stack and millimeter, you know, cause there's plenty of people like Kafuzi and, you know, believe in the run that do such a great job at doing that. And mine was, I kind of came from more of like a, Hey, I like these shoes because they do these, this for me. And so shoe companies started kind of tapping in with that. And then my, my friend and I launched the PR project, um, which is like literally what we were training for. I was training for Boston. He's training for his first marathon in Rhode Island. And um, shoe companies sent us shoes to wear during that first season and wear throughout the training process and talk about them on our show and post about them on Instagram. So um, we had a lot of fun with that and it happened to come with more shoes. <laughs> so that's cool. So um, hopefully season two is the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You may need to like add on to your house or something at some point. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to make sacrifices, you know. To exactly. Kids, kids don't need as much room as you think that they do to grow. You know, like you know, it's like, yeah, it's like plants, you know, like they'll grow a lot in that pot. So like, I really could put both my kids in one room if I need to, you know, <laughs> it'll be fine. Well, we had the uh, privilege of meeting you for the first time at the UCAN event before the Boston Marathon. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is that in your bio, you lead with the word sober. So can you tell us about your journey to sobriety? Yeah, so in um, 2017, uh, January 11th, I chose the sober, you know, lifestyle, a sober path. And I guess at the time it wasn't, it was less of I chose the path more than as like I was more tired of life as I knew it at that time, you know, and um, it was a long time coming. I knew I had a drinking problem to the extent where I didn't have control over the drink, why I would drink or how I would drink. All I controlled at that point in life was um, the narrative I told myself about my relationship with alcohol, you know, mm. um, but that was it, you know, and that's almost good enough for so many people to kind of like keep going. It's just as long as they have control of that narrative and it's like, oh, I, I drink because of this or I do this because of that. Um, but I had to like finally, it got to the point where I finally had to just say, I'm taking a loss every day at this point, you know, because I don't want to do this much of this. Mm. So I was just kind of tired of that feeling of like ending every day knowing that I just didn't do the best I could do, you know, and just in a really dark place in life and decided to try something a little different, which was telling the truth at the time with myself and others. Um, and then that led me to a therapist that then led me to my first AA meeting. And when I walked in those doors and was walked in with, you know, no one looked like me. I mean, it was, to be frank, it was a room full of like middle-aged to older, you know, white folks. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to hear my story in here, you know? <laughs> and, mm. but on the contrary, I did, you know, and I heard the same feelings and uh, confusion or struggle or whatever in that room. And that's when I knew that those people were my people, you know? Yeah. And, so I just latched on and if they can do it, I can try, you know, and just one day at a time and look up and with a lot of work and a lot of 
uh, effort going, you know, five, over five years sober now. And all this stuff, the reason why I leave with sober uh, is because anything that I'm doing, like walking, if I wanted to walk to the store right now, like walking to the store would probably not be possible or if I didn't cho- choose sober first. So all this stuff is because of that. So committing to sobriety was really a catalyst for you to start your running journey eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, because most people, I mean, some people probably do, but most people don't like, you know, drink a gin and tonic and then go run a few miles. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so I went, I got sober um, and then had like this time, you know, like, as I've heard somewhere, like you don't get rid of habits or get rid of things, you replace things. Um, so I needed something to replace it with and the gym was it. So I was, you know, lifting weights and, and I wanted to rebuild what I felt like I lost or I needed to have some type of control and physical activity is a really cool way to do that. I mean, cause it, it takes a lot of mental, emotional fortitude, but then also you can see things changing, you know, like you can see your body change. You can feel the fact that that 25 pound, whatever feels a little lighter a month or so from now. Um, so that was really a really great way to tap into this new life and started seeing some gains in that area. And then a little over a year later, I went vegan because of a, it was a challenge. It was like a two week thing. Let's just see how, whatever. And then I, a week or so in, I felt so much better. Even at that time I was eating healthy, like a, like a lifter, I guess would, but then switching to veganism, like I had this weird new surge of energy which was strange for someone that's already supposedly fit, you know, then I was like, why is this happening? You know, why do I feel this, this much better? And so I looked at, kind of looked into it, did like the millennial research, which would mean watch a documentary (laughs) (laughs) and watch the documentary and then did some more research on top of that. And then decided to stay vegan. Um, Then got challenged to running a half marathon and I did that and didn't die. So I'm like, well, I, th- I think I like this running thing. So I just kind of dug deeper into that. Now, you kind of talked about your impressions of what AA would be like when you first got there. I'm wondering if you felt kind of the same way about the running community that maybe, you know, you wouldn't feel represented or did you feel certain barriers to becoming a runner as a black man? Um, to be honest, no, because I came into it with when I came into running, I wasn't looking around. You know, I was really just into it for me. And then at 30, I think what, when I started running, it was like four, three, four years ago. Um, so at like 33 or 34, I mean, I had been very much used to being in spaces where I was the only or one of a few, you know. So right. um, at that time in life, I really only cared about what this thing was doing for me. And so that's just the way I approached it. During the uh, You Can Talk, you said growing up, there was like track, you could run track, but it had to be really fast and, and good. And after that, pretty much people didn't run. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like because track is track is uh, very much, I guess, in the same like vein as basketball in high school. Like mm-hmm. f- from the running side, it's the cool thing to do. Track is glamorous. Like you look at like track and field events, you know, in the Olympics, like that's the glamorous part when you're when you know, the hundred meter, you know, that stuff, um, you know, Michael Johnson with the with the gold chain and the gold shoe, you know, stuff like that, you know? And, but then <laughs> on like the long distance side, you don't see that. I mean, cause long distance is, is a much different vibe and different feel. And so like growing up, that was it. Like running for like health, like that was, is that a thing? Um, running long distance for black people, that's definitely not a thing. That's not the cool thing. You know, cross country is not the cool thing to do. Like that's not what gets you the you know the ladies or the guys you know whatever, <laughs> um, you know so that was that was our lens, 
you know, mm-hmm. you know, and then as you grow up and then you start being, you know, being in different neighborhoods, different areas, then you start seeing people actually do this thing for, for almost no reason. You know, like you'd see visually, it's like, that's for, you're not doing that for any reason at all. You know, like it just, you're just out here. I don't know what you're, you're not doing. going anywhere with this running thing. Right. There's nothing happening for you. You know, why are you out here? Why do you run? Um, but then, you know, that question, as I started to run more, that the answer to why do I run the paragraph for that just got longer and longer, you know, mm-hmm. the answer for that. So, um, yeah, growing up, it was, it's not a thing really. And I think that it's starting to be, I think more, more run clubs and folks that are just putting themselves out there. Hopefully one day you'll look up and it's much different on the track and field side where there's cross country or whatever, but hopefully people just in their thirties just run more for health. So if you had to distill for our listeners, your reason now why you run, what would you say? Give us the long paragraph. (laughs) Okay. Where's it at? I wrote it down. (laughs) I keep adding a sentence. Why do I run? I run. Oh man. I run for transformation in whatever that means, because I know who I was when I first started running and I know how much closer and in tune I am with like who I am as a person. Um, And it may not have come from the act of maybe running, but it came from like the act of training and being consistent and the things that it taught me about not just myself, but what works in life. You know, like a few years ago, maybe I wouldn't have said that I could start a podcast or like have a clothing company or like be on a panel with like Meb and Emily and and Emma, you know, Mm -hmm. but through the training segment of like life, right? If you look at life a little differently and you apply one thing to the next thing, that's transformation. Because like I talk about my daughter or whatever often because she reminds me of like me in these ways that we all overlook some of the good things that we do in life, you know, and like, so she was going to, she was on this bowling team or we, we kind of forced her to be on a bowling team because she didn't want to be on any team. So we're picking bowling because she had gone to a bowling camp at one point. So we're like, you're doing this. She's like, she's like, fine. I got a bowling ball. It's a, I'll go. We walk in this place. And then all of a sudden she realizes like, as soon as you walk in, it's very apparent that like some of the kids have like two to three like bowling balls. They're like rolling in with their bags. And she's like, I am out of my league. No way. She immediately was like, no. Like we walked through these double doors and she almost turned like a hard left to the corner. Like she's like, nope, nope, cannot do this. Like she was Mm. terrified. We were good, bad parents. I don't know. We said, we don't care. We're signing you up. She signed up. And then by the end of the season, she's hanging out with the seniors. She's a freshman in high school. She's hanging out with the seniors that are on the team. She played in a couple of tournaments. She got some awards because of her accomplishments. And then, but I want her to take that transformation, that moment, and place that with how can I make other things in life happen too? You know, and this is a long paragraph. Um, no that's, that's how I look at running too, because the training part of this and like the consistency and like the breaking it down, breaking your goal down to like, I want to break this time in the marathon. We strategically like go backwards and do a 16 week training plan or whatever it is to get to this point. And sometimes we make it happen, but then we don't take that and apply that transformational moment to like starting a business or mending a relationship or, you know, whatever goal we have, we just act like that never happened. Like they don't, they don't correlate, but they do. Like we can learn from one transformational moment to the next. And that's why I run because I don't know what I'm going to learn the next training block or like the next, next week. But it's really cool to think that maybe I'll find something else in that, that will like apply to something really dope in the future. I love that. Yeah. 
it helps you break down other barriers in your life and, and kind of, you know, raise your self-esteem when you can do one hard thing. It kind of gives you confidence to take on other hard things. And like you said, life is full of hard things. We don't know what they're going to be. We can't predict them always. Mm-hmm. Um, but running is kind of one of those hard things that we choose and it definitely carries over. I'm going to write that down so my paragraph's shorter. And uh, and speaking of hard, you chose to do something really hard, at least for me and for many listening, and that's to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Yeah. So, and that was only your your second marathon. And so, what time did you need to run to do that? I needed to run three oh five to qualify um, mm-hmm. for Boston, and on my qualifying race, I ran two forty eight forty three. That is amazing. Which uh, which marathon was that at? That was uh, the Mercy Health Glass City Marathon in Toledo, Ohio. So like an hour from Detroit. I feel like we need to rewind a bit because when we were talking about your first half marathon, you kind of mentioned like you survived and so you continued on with it. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there's a story between conquering that first half marathon or, or finishing and then deciding to do the marathon because, yeah. you know, double the distance, it's it's a significant challenge. How did you decide to take on your first marathon? I air quote like trained you know, improperly <laughs> for that first half. Um, and like had a stress fracture in my foot. So mm-hmm. I took some time off after that. But then I just kind of got back to it. In the way I went about it was signing up for a race. In this journey so far, I've needed the next thing to like continue to make sure that like I did the stuff that I wanted to you know push for and stay consistent. Um, that was the end of 2018. 2019, like in January, I ran a 25K uh, trail race in Michigan in January. So it was really pretty cold <laughs> and crazy. That's a whole nother story. I mean, it was just a really cool experience to go from like road running to trail running. Not just typographical differences, but the people are different too. Like it's a yes. different vibe um, and is, is a really fun and kind of freeing vibe too. But so I ran this 25K. It was not fast by any means, you know, but my sister was like, she runs as well. Um, she, she says she doesn't because she's not as fast as she wants to be, but <laughs> she runs. So right. you, you run, you're a runner. Um, but so she's like, Hey, you could qualify for Boston. You, know, you should try to run Boston. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. We lived in, in, in Massachusetts for like six years, but prior to uh, like maybe from 2007 to 13 or 14. So like we were there when the, not there, there, but we were in the area when the bombings happened. And so we're very familiar and know what the Boston Marathon meant and means to the city of Boston, to Massachusetts and New England as a whole. Mm-hmm. So that was her frame of reference, like Boston. So I'm like, well, I don't even know how to figure that out. And she's like, well, I looked it up and by the time you're able to do it, you'd ha- you'd need 305 to qualify to run like 2021 Boston. So I'm like, okay, I could try to figure that out. So I ran a couple races, like some 5Ks and just wasn't having like, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get from here to running a 305 marathon. So I was talked to people that I, one lady I ran with, she was training for like ultras and stuff like that. She's the reason why I ran 25K. Um, she said she referred me to Luke Humphrey running and um, Luke got me hooked up based on my goals with Melissa Johnson White, who is a Hanson's Brooks athlete and all that stuff forever. And I'm like, hey, I want to do this, this and this. Like, I want to go to Boston. She's like, well, let's see what we can do. Eight or nine week training block starting in like the late summer of 2019. I signed up for Detroit Free Press in October and wanted to run at least 315 because then maybe I could cover the you know 12 minutes or so that I'd need to try to qualify. And we both agreed that that would be a good start. And I ran 313.30 in my first marathon. Wow. And then it was like, okay, cool. We can train down or up, you know, and then just went after it. 
that's probably special to run your first marathon in your home city. Yeah, so random first marathon, home city. Uh, the area code for Detroit is 313, mm-hmm. and I ran 313 the time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to go over the bridge into Canada, run a few miles in Canada, and come back under the water, through the tunnel. You know, mm-hmm. that's just a really, really great experience. It's pretty flat other than the tunnel and the in the bridge. So it's a good race. But yeah, it was really great to do that in the in the area. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So take us to the marathon that you did your 248 at. What was that like? That was really cool. I mean, because 2020 was a weird year because like I was ready to qualify in April. I mean, I wanted to, I was trying to qualify at Glass City in 2020, but then, you know, I ran a, I ran the, uh, the Publix half in Atlanta and that was really cool. It was the day after the trials. So I got to see the trials. I got to oh, like, root, I got to root my coach on as She went by cause she was in the trials, Olympic trials qualifier. And it was just fun to see that and see them fight through the wind. And it was just a crazy day. And then, so the next day I ran a half and ran a time of 124, like 50 and those hit like hilly Atlanta. So I was like, I'm ready for this. It's going to be great. And then COVID happened, shut down everything. And Instead of like being like, forget it, this isn't meant to be. Like I just kept pushing, overtrained, uh, hurt myself in July of that year, and I was out from July to, to November with a stress fracture oh, wow. in my in my tibia. Like so, literally no running for four months, and I'm like, I don't know if I'll be able to get myself back together because I'm so new. Having four months off is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like kind of stuck with it and say whatever, like before, like take what you've done in the past and just figure it out. Don't count yourself out if you've done something that you didn't think you could do before. Mm-hmm. Um, so November came and then December, I jumped into a training block with Melissa and we trained like crazy, trying to get ready for it, trying to make sure cover lost ground. And then went to Glass City in um, April. And it, I was going to say it's going to be a perfect day, but it wasn't like mile three. I was like, I don't know if this is it. Like I had a hamstring thing going on that I hadn't had before. And I'm like, this is not the day. And I just toughed it out and tried to figure it out and got to like mile 19 or 20 and was like, well, I'm still in this stupid pain cave, uh, but we haven't slowed down yet. So just went for it at the end. A lady actually passed me um, or passed a big group of us because it was like maybe seven or eight of us just kind of packed up for a while. She passed and I was like, well, I think I'm going to try to go with her. You know, mm-hmm. so I went with her. She was going much faster than me at that moment because I, I think she just took off after 20. And then somewhere in there, I'm like, I can't hold this pace the rest of this way in. Uh, we, I think we dropped with maybe 10 seconds per mile from where I was the whole time. And uh, somebody yelled out to her like, hey, you're first, uh, you're third woman, you know, third female runner. And so wow. I'm like, well, OK, I'm just going to help her. I'll hang on for as long as possible to help her. And somehow I was able to forget about like how much I wanted to stop and then just ran with her. Um, she didn't ask for my help, so <laughs> unsolicited. But you know, turned out that she, at the end, she said that me being with her for that five miles in helped her a lot. It helped me, and that also too speaks to like the running community. Like we don't have to say anything to each other, but we're so we can be so supportive of each other with by just doing what we're doing. And you never know who's watching, or, or you never know who you're helping. But she helped yeah. me get to two forty eight. So it was that amazing. is amazing. It was, great, wow. it was a great day for me. <laughs> Quick break to thank our amazing sponsor, Joint Health Plus. It's so important as runners to take care of our joints. We're out there, you know, hitting the pavement. Before you know it, you feel like stiffness in your knees. Stiffness in places you didn't even think you had places. (laughs) So 
check out this supplement made by Prevenex. I actually started taking it before the Mountain Block Marathon. All of the strain I put on my joints over there in Europe going up and down the mountains. I haven't had any pain. It's been awesome. The main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in 7 to 10 days. So it takes effect really quickly. It can also help protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. And we've read some really amazing testimonials from runners on how the product has helped their training, performance, and recovery. This comes from Diane. She says, I've tried many different high-quality joint health products, but Prevenix Joint Health Plus is the only one that I've noticed that has decreased my knee joint pain during my running and fitness activities. Another runner named Gary said, I started noticing the difference in my joint health within the first five days. I highly recommend this product as it helps to keep me ready and prepared to take on the tough rigors of being a highly competitive runner, a teacher, coach, and a soldier that's always on the move. Yeah, so check it out at Prevenex.com. You can use the code MTA for 15% off your first order. If you try it yourself and you don't experience any benefits within the first 30 days, they will refund your money 100%. No questions asked. So you have nothing to lose except for your joint pain. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Definitely encourage all of you to check it out. Keep your joints healthy. Use the code MTA for 15% off your first order over at Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, Prevenex.com. Look for Joint Health Plus. So you mentioned several times getting injured or having stress fractures. Mm -hmm. What have you extrapolated from that experience as you thought about it and adjusted your training? And what could you share with listeners about, you know, injury prevention and that kind of thing? Well, I think I'm still trying to figure that out, you know, and that's definitely one of those, um, you're just constantly learning. It's like, I mean, it's learning experience as you go. Yeah. What I've tried not to do is just like chalk it up as like a, well, injuries happen. You know, and and you shouldn't be down on yourself because I think I have the tendency to be like to take all the the burden of something like it's my fault, you know. <laughs> but at some to some extent, like if you do say like, hey, well, I had something to do with this. Like I have some some agency over like maybe if I go about this differently. So each time that it's happened, I try my best to take the lesson out of it. And, you know, whether the first time it was, I mean, honestly, because I was just, I was wearing the wrong shoes, you know, as a new runner, um, there was definitely not running shoes. They were in the running category on the website, you know, oh, wow. but, but they're definitely, you know how that is, those, like running yeah. shoes aren't running shoes all the time. Um, so that was definitely a shoe thing. And then the second time, second time around was just, I took no time off in, in, that, in 2020. I was just running high mileage in no time for a break, no real physical, you know, strength training and stuff like that. Um, so I tried to learn my lesson there and did a little bit better and added yoga into light in my life a little bit. Um, so I think it's just always trying to find like maybe how you could tweak things and make it a little bit better. Don't beat yourself up because it, it is what it is. Everybody gets hurt. Pros get hurt, stuff like that. But find where you can take some responsibility in like your process and see how you can improve it. Yeah, you can't change the past, but you can definitely tweak things for the future. And I think like you said, you know, if you push yourself hard enough, and if you're trying to find your limits, at some point, you know, you probably will deal with some kind of injury. But it doesn't mean that has to totally derail you from your goals. And I, I know just kind of from following you on Instagram that going into the Boston Marathon, you were having some knee issues. How did that affect your marathon experience there? Oh, it, affect, it affected it a lot. <laughs> it was like, well, I had an Achilles thing on the opposite leg for a few days. Um, and I so I tried to take the lessons from the past and say, okay, well, don't be an idiot here and keep running. Take some days off. So I did. And I tried to let my body heal. But I think when I came back to running, I was 
favoring it to try to make sure I was okay. And then the opposite knee. It's not really like inside the knee, but it's like a weird other thing on the outside. Probably was just loading up too hard on the left. So going into it, I had this issue and I was trying my best to just get to the start line healthy. Um, like you hear that all the time, but I was like, I really understood what it meant. Like, okay, just let's not be crazy. Let's not try to run all the miles and all this stuff. To, you know, don't be type A, figure it out and get to Boston healthy and try your best on that day. Um, so first 13 miles were like a dream. I felt a couple like moments of tightness in the knee, but I was like, okay, we'll just figure it out and it doesn't hurt. So you're fine. Right. And then by like mile 14, I had like this really sharp pain that I had experienced yeah. early when I first realized the pain was there um, a few weeks before but it was a little more intense and then it went away. So I'm like, okay, we're good. And then mile 16, it was like, nope, we're here to stay. And it was the worst thing ever. Like I, it was just, it was a really tough mental and physical day. I, I wanted to stop so bad. Like, I mean, I stopped a few different times, but I wanted to like quit. <laughs> like, I was trying to tell right. myself just, you don't need to do this. It's fine. But I couldn't, I just couldn't stop. Like I couldn't quit. And I just kept taking breaks if I needed to. Um, uphills were great. Cause that's when it, it was less pain. Downhills were, were the issue. So I just stopped whenever I needed to and just toughed it out, I guess. Pri- I was biggest crybaby the whole time, like just so upset, you know, because it felt like what I worked for was just like taken from. And then the guy's like, go, you know, because like you already, you look like you're in pain. You know how when you're in pain in marathons, like all the crowd knows it. So they like, they go like, hey, you can do it 2019, you know. And every time they said the stupid number, I was like, I've been wait, working at this from, you know, from years ago, three years ago. And now look at me. So like, like I kept digging in this weird, dark space and, mm. you know, not to be extreme, but like I, looking back at it, I definitely was in probably one of the darker places that I'd been in mentally because I was just fighting myself mm-hmm. back to like when I was drinking and when I decided to stop drinking, like, and it was extreme for me like that. And I don't know why. But at the moment, I was just like having the toughest time because I hadn't really had to battle myself like that mentally until that day. I made it through and finished, so I'm happy with that. But I definitely have a bone to pick with <laughs> with Boston in general. So I will make sure that I go back and make sure that like if I have to have titanium knees, I'm coming back with like in like full force like Terminator or something. A redemption run. <laughs> Yes, yes, we're gonna yeah, we'll do a whole series called Redemption Run or something. Speaking of like battling yourself, Angie, that reminded me of your fifty miler when you had your hamstring and basically twenty five miles you we're in a pretty dark place. <laughs> yeah. But there's something like that you won't let you quit. I just totally resonating when you said that. And I've been to different marathons before where you know, I'm just like hating it. And like, why didn't I pick a different hobby? Just get to the finish line. You never have to run another marathon. Like you tell yourself anything just to get yourself there. And it's amazing what kind of emotions, you know, when you're in physical pain and just really struggling mentally will bring up. And I think our listeners will really resonate with your experience there. You know, even though we wish you had a better Boston experience, and I know you will someday, I think that's really relatable because it, yeah, running can bring out your inner demons, especially the marathon. (laughs) There's a physical pain, which is there, but then the emotional pain, which our ego and our psyche layers on top of it, makes it even worse. And that's the, yeah, the ego and psyche thing. Like we'll treat ourselves so poorly because of like an ego thing. And we don't like acknowledge that as ego. I was running thinking like, because people n- apparently know like me, I guess now. And so like random people would just say my name and I'd like look over and I'm like, I don't know you, <laughs> but, but now, and I'm like, then I'm like, all these people see me and I'm not running well, like I thought I was going to. And I'm, you know, 
I just felt bad for myself. And that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, like nobody was like, ha, I knew he was going to do bad. And I think sometimes we just go in these little spiral moments where we just treat ourselves bad. We're swearing that everybody is just judging us. And so many times, more than more than not, everybody's rooting for us and wants want us to do well, especially if you're putting out good energy, you know, out there. People don't yes. care. Like, you know, people are so happy and proud of like the time that I ran and I'm beating myself up about it after I finished, you know? I didn't even hang my medal up for like three Aww. days. No, I got it. I got it up now. I'm over it now. Okay. But like I, the, my medal sat in my living room on the chair for like four days after I got back, like just sitting there, like as if it meant nothing. And I had to wake up like, this is so stupid. You know, like you did something really cool, just finishing in general, but you fought through something that looking back, I don't even know how I was able to just keep going without like just saying, forget it, I'm done. So we got to be proud of ourselves, you know, and don't let our ego just tear us apart because luckily I didn't stop because of my ego that day, but it was close, you know, because I was talking to myself like you are, you're the worst. (laughs) Just give up. Yeah, that mental battle is extreme sometimes. And then, like you said, sometimes the spectators, you know, they don't mean to, but they can make it worse. They're like at mile 16, like, you're almost there. And you're like, if I had enough energy, I'd come over and slap you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some guy was like, he said, what did he say? He was like, 2019 is a really bad year, but cool number. And I was like. (laughs) 2019 was fine. (laughs) But that actually, it was weird comment, but it helped me for like a mile because I was trying to figure out what he meant. What happened in 2019? 2020 was the year, you know, that it all went bad. The pandemic has has lasted so long that we've like pe- forgotten how people forgot that it started in 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, years ago, when we first started our podcast, we had a a pretty badass runner on our show named Chuck Engel, and this dude he has like the most marathon wins or something, or the most sub three marathons racked up in the U.S. Wow. He just goes to small marathons and like really runs fast, but he's so hard on himself if he doesn't win. He'll just throw his medal in the trash. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's pretty extreme. That's rough. Another, another thing I was thinking of though, Tommy, when you were talking was, and Angie as well, but imagine if you were like an elite runner, everyone knows who you are. You have these contracts. So mm-hmm. if you fail, not only you're letting your fans down, seemingly you would think, but then your shoe company, your shoe contract or whatever yeah. might not renew. All of your your livelihood depends on your your success. Like I, I just imagine the pressure on those those people. Right. It could be worse, man. Like I lost, I, li- I literally <laughs> lost nothing because of that. You know, like I'm all like, you know, what if my Nike contract? Oh, I don't have one. You know, like. Yeah. You know, it's crazy like how rough and t- like how rough we are on ourselves, but it could be worse for sure because yeah. Um if anything, you know, looking back, I'm actually happy it kind of happened that way because, you know, number one, like you just have to be happy with whatever happens cuz you mm-hmm. like I always say you can only control what you can control. And looking back now, I know that maybe I could do a couple things differently in the training block. Maybe I could, you know, sleep better because like I'm all like runny sleep repeat guy or whatever, but I don't sleep, you know, because I'm always like trying to do something like last minute or whatever. (laughs) Um, But I'm just glad that I had a maybe a reality check in some sense, like, hey, it's not what you think this whole thing is. This isn't about, you know, just PRing every time you do something like there's moments where you just need to learn. And that was one of them. Maybe on the day I did my best, but let's try to pull out some things that I could do better next time and share that too, though, with other people. Cause, um, the more we share our failures, you know, I'm not saying that that's a big failure, but the more we share our failures or our troubles or our struggles, the more we all can learn from it. I mean, that's why I share like my sobriety journey and 
some of the darker times I've had with that is because, you know, I'm here, you know, so like, what if someone is dealing with the same type of thoughts that I was dealing with or struggle, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, that they just feel like without it, the thing, who would they be or what would they be, you know, and if I didn't share that and I just was ashamed or whatever to think about that um, and talk about it, then it's the most selfish thing to do to go through something and maybe come out on the other side and not share it. So hopefully I can come through this whole thing and have more valuable knowledge or information to share you know, with other people. Definitely. Yeah, definitely more depth. And then when you do accomplish that goal, it's so much sweeter because you know the depths that you've had to plumb to get there. Exactly. (laughs) So are you kind of like working on rehabbing your knee and figuring out what's going on right now before setting future goals or yeah, so like I think I mean I already have what I want to do, but I think that it's like a tendonitis of some sort. Um not in the knee, it's like it's where the hamstring tendons attach to the interior part of your leg. So like I just got to let that get back to rehab as much as possible. No point in rushing back to keep mm-hmm. doing that dance cuz like you know how runners go like, "Oh, I think I'm going to try it." And then they're out for two more, three more days or a week. So I'm just going to yeah. let it heal up and then just get back to it as soon as I can. Plan to requalify for Boston somewhere and then run some cool races like at the end of the year, like Chicago and New York. So Awesome. Sounds amazing. Well, thanks for hanging out with us on the podcast. And uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. If people want to connect with you and find you online, let's let's tell folks where they can go. Um, I guess Instagram would probably be the best place to start. Uh, just it's at Tommy Runs, T O M M I E underscore R U N Z. Um, everything is you know there that I do, and I connect. You know the the Run Eat Sleep Show, I, uh, the PR project gets posted there too. So you're doing two podcasts at a time. Well, yeah, one of them's like a live like YouTube show, and then the other one's okay. more like a podcast. It's still live on YouTube too, but it's more of an interview thing. And I I get to interview on the running sleep show. I interview uh, some pretty cool, you know, athletes and things like that. Um, This has been fun. It's been a really great journey. And I definitely didn't think that taking that challenge in 2018 would lead to any of this stuff. Um, But that just goes to show sometimes you just got to do things just because it's what feels right or good or whatever and stay Mm -hmm. consistent with it. And um, if you love it and are open to like learning new things and just taking chances here and there, like stuff kind of works out, you know, typically. So I'm glad it's been doing okay for me so far. It's like what Bart Yasso told us, never limit where running can take you. Or is it, you never know where running will take you. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Don't limit it. You never know. (laughs) Yeah. Both both and. Yeah. It's a yes. And. Well, in just a minute, we want to give you a recap of our 39-day road trip in Europe and tell you some of the highlights, really fun things that we got to see or do that we recommend. Before we do that, we'd like to give a big thanks to our faithful podcast sponsor, MetPro. That's right. You've heard us talk about MetPro, and I've had such a great experience working with MetPro coaches. It's really been key for me to lose unwanted fat. I had gained about 35 pounds despite pretty much keeping my diet and exercise the same and just couldn't get the weight off until I started working with my MetPro coach. They are experts at dialing in your particular metabolism and helping you to get the body composition that you want. And I was able to lose that weight and go on to get stronger in my running, set a marathon and half marathon PR. 
So it's just been a fantastic experience. And we love hearing from MTA listeners. We heard from Karen recently, and she said, I wanted to share my grandma's marathon story, but I need to rewind to last November with the realization that I was going to be 70 in May, and I wanted to step up my game and challenge myself. So I did what every 70-year young person does and signed up for a marathon. I also pulled the trigger on trying MetPro, although I was a little skeptical about that, but I wanted to see what it was all about. Long story short, I'm the fittest and thinnest I've been in 20 years and also the most seasoned. When I was almost to the finishing line, the announcer called my name and city and said she's 70 and I felt like a rock star. Gotta say I'm ready to do another. Investing all this in myself wasn't cheap, but crossing that finish line for me was priceless. Awesome. That comes from Karen. I got to meet her actually at the uh, Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon back in 2017. And I got to coach her for her first marathon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And like Karen, I was really skeptical about trying MetPro because I had tried a lot of different things and nothing seemed to work. But they really do help you get results. It's still hard work to change your nutrition, but it is totally worth it. And so many people see the results with their running and fitness as well. So check them out at metpro.co forward slash MTA. Tell them that we sent you. You'll get $500 off metpro.co forward slash MTA. So now we want to give you a quick recap of the rest of our time in Europe. Some of our favorite places that we went to and things that we did. We were actually in 10 different countries, Spain, France, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, Austria, Germany, Hungary, Slovakia, Italy, and Monaco. So we traveled through every one of those countries, at least to some extent. We didn't stay the night in some of the places like Monaco. We're too poor to stay there (laughs) (laughs) because it's like the playground of the rich. Our kids really loved that place because every five minutes, like someone would come by in their Ferrari or their Lambo and my kids are really into cars. So, and we managed not to buy anything while we were there except for some gelato. So I think we did pretty well. Yeah. We didn't buy any gold bars or any yachts. (laughs) You guys might be surprised to know, but anyway, someone on Instagram asked us to share our itinerary. So this was our itinerary. We flew to Madrid and then we went to Tarragona, Spain, beautiful coastal town. Then we went to Avignon, France. Then of course we were in Chamonix, for five days, five or six days. Yeah. Just amazing to be in the Alps. Then we went to Interlock in Switzerland, one of my favorite places on earth. Then we drove through Liechtenstein, just so we can say we've been there. That's right. Jumped out, took a few pictures. <laughs> we stayed just over the border in Austria that night. While in Austria, we went to Salzburg, and then we went to Budapest, Hungary. We were able to stay with uh, a listener of the podcast uh, that you might have heard on the last episode, Christians. Chris very graciously let us stay in his apartment in uh, Budapest and his house at Lake Balaton. So we also went to the largest lake in Eastern Europe, Lake Balaton. And then after we left Hungary, we went to Slovakia, to the capital Bratislava, just a hidden gem, really enjoyed it. And then we started heading back west again. We went to Vienna and then to Starnberg, Germany, which is south of Munich, and then to Bozen, which is in northern Italy in Sudtirol. And then in Italy, we also went to Venice and Turin, even though we were just in Turin for one night, just kind of passing through. And then Monaco, and then back to Spain, we were at Imperia Brava, and then Valencia, and back to Madrid. So like I said, 10 countries, 39 days, and... Because we're crazy Americans, this is how far we drove, okay? You that are in Europe are going to think we're nuts. I remember one time, the first time we were in Germany, we drove from Berlin to Cologne and then back to Berlin. And we stayed with a wonderful listener to the podcast, longtime listener and Academy member named Edith. And she thought we were nuts. She was (laughs) like, 
I fly to Berlin from from Cologne. I don't drive. What are you crazy? That's like a five hour drive. <laughs> Who does that? Well, when you lived a significant portion of your life in Montana, that's right. That's just an easy drive. Yeah, if you want to go to Walmart in Montana, <laughs> you know, Angie, you guys had to drive like four hours. It was two hours, but <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> so anyway, we drove seven thousand six hundred and nineteen kilometers during our thirty-nine days over there, or four thousand seven hundred thirty-four miles. Pretty much just a normal summer for us, other than the fact that we were yeah over in Europe. We like road trips. 2018, we actually drove from our house here in Pennsylvania to Alaska and back. That's been our biggest road trip so far. That was uh, like 9,000 miles. Yeah, that's right. But this has been like a bucket list goal of ours is to go to Europe with our kids. Our kids are old enough now where they, I think, have a better appreciation. And we just really wanted to provide an experience for the kids that would broaden their worldview. And I think it happened. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) So Angie, what were some of your top picks for favorite things we did or saw? Wow. Well, I mean, I got to visit nine countries that I hadn't been to. I'd only been to Germany before Mm -hmm. in that part of Europe. So that was a huge highlight for me. Just, you know, when do you get to do that, really? (laughs) Um, I would say hiking in the Alps. When we stayed at the refuge overnight, um, I just love hiking. I love mountains. Just put me in the mountains hiking. I'm happy. Yes. As long as I have food. Um, and then getting to run in the Italian Alps, we stayed three, four nights mm-hmm. um, near the Bozen area, and it was just gorgeous. The weather was nice and cool, which was a huge relief. Um, so I love getting out for that. Um, I would say visiting Venice, just because it's such a, you know, such a unique city. Yeah, I knew you would love it. And the architecture is just amazing there. And the ornate doors, I just developed like an obsession with taking pictures of doors in Europe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then I really enjoyed our beach stay in Imperia Brava, Spain. Um, That was towards the end of our trip. And it just felt really good to be able to lay on the beach and it was a beautiful area. There was a great um, boardwalk, kind of like biking, running trail that was nearby, which of course is important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we enjoyed our time there, even though it did happen to coincide with the motorcycle club, the Banditos, European get-together. Yeah, that was interesting. Motorcycle club meetup. So there were Banditos all over town, which was some extra color. <laughs> <laughs> So I might add, too, for anyone wondering, Imperia Brava is in the Costa Brava region of Spain, uh, north of Barcelona. That's where we were. Oh, and I also really enjoyed doing the walking tours in several cities. Yeah. Um, Our kids did not appreciate those, but you and I just did those walking tours and enjoyed them and had a great time. So we did a walking tour of Madrid, Vienna, Bratislava, and Budapest. Of course, they're free. You just like tip the person at the end. But we always leave like right before the end so we don't have to leave a tip. Very funny. (laughs) Just kidding. Trevor, what kind of of tip are you going to give them? Like, make sure it's generous. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Anything come to your mind, Angie, that was sort of like a surprise? Um, I guess finding out that, I mean, I, I knew this from having visited Germany, that the gas stations are a lot different over in Europe and in many countries. And in, particularly in France, we were very impressed with the rest stations. 
they would often have like a restaurant there and just, I guess, I don't know if you call it a buffet, but you could go through and pick out food. And it was like on par with anything you could get in a great restaurant. Just these amazing salads and cheeses and desserts. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really healthy stuff. Yeah. I mean, fresh, healthy, professionally made in the U.S., no one says, hey, let's eat some truck stop food. Right. I, mean, you try, I try to avoid that. But yeah, the rest stops, truck stops in France are, are really good. Another thing we discovered when we were extremely hungry one afternoon, we stopped at a McDonald's in Spain. And they have much better McDonald's over there. Yes. Let me just say, I don't eat a McDonald's here in the U.S. because the food is not like going to fit into my nutrition goals. Let's just put it that way. It's not on the MetPro app. <laughs> right (laughs) but over there they have a lot more choices they have like i got a goat cheese and caramelized onion burger yeah and if you get a side salad it's like mixed greens just you know really healthy it's um, it's not iceberg lettuce no and like healthy um olive oil and balsamic dressing you know there's no ranch dressing or any of that stuff um so it was interesting we did eat at a few mcdonald's after that just to see how different they were in different countries the different offerings (laughs) you can get a beer at the mcdonald's in spain very tiny one but yes yes it was small but (laughs) You know what else is cool that I I discovered? When we got to Spain, our first breakfast, we had churros and liquid chocolate. That's like a thing over there. It's really good. And the churros are not like really sugary. And the chocolate is is not really sugary either. It's just filling, but delicious. Also, we probably talked about this on the past couple episodes, but the air conditioning over there is not always abundant. (laughs) (laughs) So I would notice that the listing would say, air conditioning on Airbnb. So I'd select the house uh, or the apartment. And when we got there, there would be like one split unit in the hallway and that would be it. There's not like central air in these places. Yeah, a lot of the times. And I knew this before we went and I told our kids, but uh, they thought it was pretty strange that there's no screens on the windows in most places. So if there's not air conditioning and you just want to open up and get a nice breeze coming inside, um, you're also going to get some mosquitoes coming inside. (laughs) About a thousand mosquito bites. (laughs) (laughs) So actually the second place we stayed at, Tarragona, Spain, we had a nice Airbnb with a view of the Mediterranean. It was like three stories up, this apartment, but there was no air conditioning. But when I booked it, I thought, that's okay. You know, we'll just open the windows up and there'll be a nice breeze. And we're so high up, the mosquitoes are not going to find us. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> no. They... Mosquitoes will always find Angie. Yes, they will. Very special <laughs> relationship with me. <laughs> Another thing that we had to face was because, you know, there's such a big group of us and we tried to pack fairly light is that we had to do laundry multiple times while we were over there. Um, and I have these awesome, they're called earthwash sheets. So it's like the detergent is like this thin sheet. And so it's really easy to pack. And it's really good for the environment as well. Um, so I, I'd pack those, but, you know, finding places to do laundry, often we would do it at the Airbnbs, but sometimes they would advertise, you know, washer and dryer. Well, we would get there and there'd be a washer, but of course the dryer was just a rack to hang your stuff over to dry. Yeah. So that was a little bit tricky if we were only staying one night in a place to be able to wash our clothes and then have them actually dry by the time we needed to repack and get going the next day. (laughs) It was like, kind of told the kids, like, we're not doing laundry unless we're staying more than one night. (laughs) Another thing I would mention is that if you're traveling in Europe in the summer and there's a chance that it's going to be really hot, if I could do it over again, I would have brought a twin size top sheet for myself because the beds have the, the fitted sheets, but then they often have a duvet, which is covered by a duvet cover, but not a top sheet. 
And so often just sleeping under the duvet was too hot. But if you want like something light over you to keep the bugs off or, you know, just a little bit of covering during the night, there wasn't a top sheet. So that was one thing I was wishing I had with me. So we rented a seven passenger van because there's five of us. And then we had all of our stuff. Which seemed to expand to fill the space. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our, <laughs> <laughs> we Along the way, we picked up two basketballs because we're staying at this place with basketball hoops and our, our kids love basketball. A rugby ball to use in the water. Five towels, <laughs> like cheap beach towels, and a portable box fan because we were staying in places with no AC and so we just put the fan on our faces at night. <laughs> and a big bag of food that we right. carried around. So... Trevor, I mentioned my highlights. What were some of yours from the trip? Yeah, so glad that we got to do this. You know, I've been going to Europe, trying to anyway, every year since 2016. I've been doing marathons over there, bringing back stories and souvenirs and stuff for the kids. And so I'm glad they finally got to go over there and experience it themselves to see that, you know, it's a big world and there's so many other cultures and cool things to see. Uh, I really enjoyed, of course, the Marathon du Mont Blanc in Chamonix. That was sort of the main reason for going over there. Then uh, I did this hike in Switzerland, this traverse called the Via Ferrata, the Iron Way, where I, you know, you have to clip into ropes and you're like way up there, super high. It's not for those that are afraid of heights. So Angie did not join me on that one. Did not. Do not regret it. (laughs) Um, This is kind of random, but a lot of these big cities like Madrid and Budapest have these lime bikes or bird scooters, those little scooters you can rent with the app. So everyone would go to bed for the evening and I would go back out and like rent one of those things and just scooter all over town. <laughs> and it was, it was really safe in the big cities. It was, yeah. Another thing I enjoyed was after the half marathon relay in Hungary, uh, my son Liam and I went out on a boat and toured this lake and he got to drive the boat. It was really fun to see just how delighted he was this 11 year old boy who'd never driven a boat before (laughs) like having that much control (laughs) like a giant smile on his face yeah and then um the hut hike of course was awesome glad we did that i would love to go back and do the full tour to mont blanc from hut to hut to hut just the two of us or maybe just myself and some friends you know the kids are not gonna volunteer for that hike (laughs) it's gonna take like seven to nine days and it's some serious elevation gain And finally, I'll mention that the boys and I went cliff jumping in Tarragona, Spain. They got some great cliffs. You can, boom, jump right off into the uh, Mediterranean Sea. That was the first week we were in Europe. We had that experience. It's always good to start on something epic like that. (laughs) A high note. So, yeah, if you want any tips or pointers on organizing or executing a a family road trip in Europe, uh, we've done it at least one time now. So (laughs) feel free to email us. So that is what our trip looked like. I don't know where we're going to go next. Hopefully somewhere cool. It's going to be hard to top this. (laughs) (laughs) And we've always had lots of listeners of the podcast who live in Europe. One regret I I have is I wish we would have been able to do more races when we were over there and meet up with more people. But uh, we're looking forward to going back just to keep exploring and keep running in uh, beautiful places and doing amazing marathons. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thanks again to the Greenbrier River Trail Marathon in West Virginia. Check them out at grtmarathon.com. Sign up and uh, run that baby on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. If there's any way that we can help you in your marathon journey as you're trying to become a better, stronger version of yourself, uh, please reach out. We have a contact form, of course, on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com as well as highly skilled uh, coaches on our team who can 
gets you to the next level. If you want to talk to our head coach, Nicole, and see what coaching is all about, she does free uh, 30-minute consultation calls and would love to connect with you. MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. Until next time, be safe out there, and remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.